She's suffering. In our Loving Kindness Sutra, we chanted, May all beings be happy. And that includes me. And there is a sense in which we all want to be happy. Every being. I think we, we would say that that's obvious. But in Zen, we often don't settle for the obvious. <laughs> and if we scratch the surface a little bit, we may discover that sometimes we really don't want to be happy. And we don't want to let go of our suffering. I was struck last week by Nikolai's little story about losing his glasses. Nikolai, have you found your glasses yet? Oh, I, I said they were broken. I broke them. Oh, you broke <laughs> them. Okay. Sorry. That's, that's my, my, my fascination still holds. Nikolai broke his glasses and he discovered that he did not have the same reaction, correct me if I'm wrong, Nikolai, to having lost or broken those glasses as he might have had in the past. That is, couldn't worry about them, it was his favorite pair of glasses, he would have maybe been a bit fixated upon how he did this and uh, how was he, he was going to replace that favorite pair of glasses. He found that he had a kind of what might be called equanimity about having broken them. But following that sense, well, you know, I'm not reacting in the same way that I have in the past, where I would be fixated and disturbed about this. But following that sense of equanimity, I think, Nikolai, you talked about feeling sad and missing that old feeling that somehow, uh, I think you even used the word grief about having lost that feeling that you so associated yourself with. So that comment led me to considering how there are many, many times when we have the opportunity to be happy to relieve our suffering, and we refuse to take those opportunities. And we are more loyal to our suffering than we are to our desire to be happy. For example, it's well known that people who, for health reasons, go on diets and lose a lot of weight, put it back on 
very quickly, even though they feel healthier and they know that they will be healthy if they remain without those extra pounds. But somehow it's reported that they don't feel like themselves. And they feel they need to put that weight back on. Because in some part, there's the sense that I identify myself with being overweight. I identify myself with being anxious. I identify myself with being depressed. I identify myself with being an angry person. And when I have moved beyond that, somehow there's a sense of, who am I? I'm no longer that person who has identified with my suffering. And that, of course, creates another level of suffering. There is a classic story, which many of you have heard. It's called The Poisoned Arrow. And it's the story of a man who is shot with a poison arrow and is, falls down along a road and is about to die from being poisoned. And a group comes around, and Buddha is one of them, and he is about to pull that arrow out of the man's chest. And the man says, wait, wait. Before you pull the arrow out, who was it that shot me? Where did he come from? What was his motive? Before you pull the arrow out, um, was, that a, was that a wooden arrow? Or was it a, an iron arrow? Was it a razor arrow? Or what kind of poison is at the tip of the arrow? And at what range was the arrow shot? Now don't pull, don't pull this out until I figure all of this other stuff out. That's what we call the fable of the second arrow. <laughs> the first arrow is bad enough. And the second arrow is the aversion to having the first arrow pulled out. Which is very strange, isn't it? It's very curious that somehow we are averse to having that arrow of our suffering pulled out of us. Even though I think each one of us would say, really, all I want in life is to be happy. So... There's another uh, example of this, not just in the fables of uh, the Buddha's life and life history, but in philosophy there is a, a condition 
called uh, The Condition of Buridan's Ass. And this is an ass, a donkey, who is very, very hungry. He's suffering with hunger. And he's placed between two bales of hay. Does he immediately try to satisfy his hunger by eating some of that hay? No. He looks at one bale and he says, oh, that looks, that looks pretty juicy. But then he looks at the other bale and says, well, you know, there seems to be a little more hay in this bale. Oh, no, wait a minute. This bale has more seeds in it than the other bale. And you get the picture. He goes from one bale to the other bale in a ruminating, ruminating, which bale seems to be the best one to eat. And meanwhile, of course, he starves to death, just as the man who has the arrow in him will die because he wants to know too much <laughs> and maybe even resists, resists in some way having that problem resolved. Very curious that we resist our own happiness. There are, of course, lots of examples of this. I think about relationships that we know are toxic. Relationships within which we suffer, other people suffer, our families suffer, and yet we do not end them. We do not try to resolve them. We just keep on suffering. Just keep on suffering. Because somehow it doesn't feel right for whatever reason, and we can explore some of those reasons, to let go of this suffering. Who would we be if we weren't in that suffering relationship? What would life be like if my suffering were, were gone? This is the unknown. It's kind of, I remember as a kid, I've lived in a <clears throat> poor, poor household, and all we ever had was canned vegetables. And I, of course, I hated vegetables because they were all canned. And I remember one time <clears throat> being up in the Catskill Mountains and passing a farmer farm stand, and there was a um, a pint of fresh peas. And they looked so different from canned peas. And the person at the farm stand said, try these. These are amazing. They're sweet and wonderful. And they're nothing like what 
you know, you tasted before. You thought you thought these the canned peas were peas, but these those were not really peas. And I no, no, I don't dare try these peas. And well later on in life I did try the peas, and they were indeed nothing like canned peas. And so similarly, with our life of freedom from suffering, of freedom from our dramas, <laughs> our, our problems, it's like fresh peas. It's, I can't imagine what that might taste like. And I really, I'm afraid to taste it. I'm afraid to taste what that might might be like. So I think ultimately we're afraid of losing this constructed self that we have developed. And part of that constructive self is our sufferings. It's part of who we think we are and we believe we are. And a good part of that is how we suffer. And why would we choose to have that suffering as part of who we are? Well, some people say that we choose it because our suffering isn't extreme enough. <laughs> that most of our suffering is tolerable. And we often hear that people who decide to end their suffering, or to at least relieve it, have to hit bottom. They have to hit bottom in order to let go of that sense of identity with their suffering. So sometimes we don't suffer enough, which is a sort of strange thing to say. There are a lot of strange things in human life. But we also may hang on to suffering because it gives us a sense of our uh, intensity of life. It makes us strangely feel alive to be suffering. So we gain something out of suffering. There is, there is a loss, certainly, but there is a gain. It makes us feel we're real. Pain, pain brings us alive in some odd way. And then, of course, we can complain about our suffering. And we can, we can evoke attention. We can get a lot of attention. Oh, poor me. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. Um, and I can become... I stay in this relationship, I stay in this relationship for the children. I'm a martyr. I become a martyr. 
My suffering makes me a martyr. And the ego just loves that. Oh, wow. And we, that's why sort of we love endurance tests. You know, all this, like, these high endurance sports. Wow, oh, you know, look at me. Look at my, what is it, biceps, triceps. The ego has these biceps and triceps. It gets puffed up and inflated because it becomes a martyr to its own, to, to its own suffering. And if we didn't suffer, if we weren't so loyal <laughs> to our suffering, we would actually lose that self-centered self. Happy people, people who are free of suffering, are not self-centered. They're open, generous, and sharing. Those who are identified with suffering are self-involved, are always preoccupied with their problems, their pain, their difficulties. And as long as that the self the ego, oddly, gets strengthened with suffering. You, we will hold on to it. We will hold on to it. So, in a way, the greatest form of suffering is our unwillingness or our inability to let go of suffering. Our deepest form of suffering is our inability or our unwillingness to let go of suffering. So how do we do this? How do we have the courage to taste the fresh peas? One way is to practice and to be courageous enough to face the unknown of what we would be like, what our lives would be like if we weren't identified with our problems where we could choose happiness. Because you know, the first arrow is sometimes un uncontrollable. We get hit. We get hit. We can't control that. But the second arrow is to some degree under our control. We, no one makes us suffer. Only we have that power. We can choose to suffer or we can choose to be happy. And in order to choose to be happy, we have to let go of that constructed self, which is loyal to all the problems that we've been struggling with all our lives and perhaps still go on. 
So it takes courage. It takes support. It takes wisdom. It takes compassion for ourselves to say, I'm willing to face the unknown of what I, who I would be. Maybe to grieve over <laughs> that old self who got upset about breaking his glasses. It's okay to grieve <laughs> about that old self. And to do, for example, as um, there was a story about Willie Mandela, who was imprisoned for, I think it was 12 or 13 years. And when he was released, and of course, unjustifiably, and when he was released from prison, he was interviewed. And he was asked uh, if he forgives his captors. How does he feel about those who unjustly imprisoned him? And he said he's totally forgiven them. Uh, he has no, he holds no grudges. He has no, he holds no anger. Uh, he is completely at peace with it. And he was asked, well, how can you, how can you spend 12 years in prison unjustifiably and come out and not feel some kind of anger, or some kind of resentment? And he said, if I did, I'd still be in prison. Some of us have chosen to remain in prison, even though the door is wide open. So let's bravely walk through that door and consider whether we can let go of some of the, the sufferings that we so identify with. Thank you.